a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Hello and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. How are you all? I realize a whole week always goes by from when I come on and chat to you on the episodes and I sometimes can't even remember all the things I got up to from one week to the next. And then I realize that sometimes we have really huge monumental weeks that will change the course of our lives forever. And they could have been, for me, they were, you know, the weeks that I met my husband, for example, the week where I was diagnosed with cancer, the weeks that my children were born, really, really big weeks that will always shape me and they have made me who I am today. And if you had one of those weeks from last week to now that is is going to shape you and your life or you think it will, and you've had one of those really monumental things happening to you in a positive or negative way, then I just want to send you all my love and really big virtual hugs. It's really, really weird, isn't it? Sometimes life, which just seem to float along and the days and the weeks sort of pass without major events. And sometimes we've got this huge, whoa, event happening and life will be different from then onwards. And um, on today's episode on the podcast, I decided not to bring an expert in. Although in the future, if you enjoy this topic, I'm really happy to bring lots of experts in to talk about this in more detail. But today is a personal account. And I want to talk about the relationship to alcohol, my own story with alcohol and how I navigated my um, worry about alcohol since I was diagnosed with cancer. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it came up in our Facebook community. A lady has said, Was anyone told by your consultant not to drink alcohol once diagnosed with cancer? I have, and it's really hard to swallow. And then a flurry of messages came in and other people said, no, 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 no. And then different messages came in and it was a really engaging conversation. And I thought, yeah, I've not really spoken about it to the detail that really it requires. A lady said, I was told by my surgeon to give up, but my medical oncologist said only to drink very good wine. And my clinical oncologist told me it was okay, so clear as mud. So really conflicting evidence or conflicting information from uh, someone's healthcare team. Really unhelpful, I think. The next person said, no, moderation, I suppose. If it helps you relax, then that's a healthy benefit, right? Uh, Next comment reads, my breast scanners kept telling me not to worry and to have a drink if you wanted it. One lady said, my last glass of wine was in February back in 2020, two days prior to surgery, and managed not to drink for three years so far, and people who know me can't quite believe it. 
Another one says, I've been alcohol free for just over three years now. Best decision of my life. I thought I'd be missing out, but in fact, I've gained so much more. Someone else says, no, I've never been told to, never been given any dietary advice in 10 years since diagnosis, but the guilt hurts when you think it's linked. And another comment reads, you might never drink alcohol again and get a recurrence or drink moderately and never get a recurrence. No one knows for certain, only you can decide how to feel about the risks and how that impacts your lifestyle. There are so many more comments and... Um, I don't want to read all of them, but the comments were very all over the place. No one really said that they had clear guidance from their medical team. I certainly had no clear guidance. I can't remember in the first few years after diagnosis of ever speaking to healthcare professionals in my team about drinking alcohol. And so today I want to really talk you through about how I sort of tackled this whole thing. But before I do, I want to bring in a little clip. It's only two minutes short from a fantastic oncologist, Dr. Eleonora Templinski. I had her on the podcast a few weeks back for our myth busting session with an oncologist. And one of my questions was how much alcohol is safe to drink? And this is her answer. Alcohol is a known breast cancer risk factor, not only a breast cancer risk factor, it increases your risk for other cancers as well. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, recently put out a statement that basically said, look, no amount of alcohol is safe. People don't like that. Obviously, um, you know, our society mm. has a very complicated relationship with alcohol. But the, the point is that the more you drink, the higher the risk of diagnosis or recurrence. And when you look at the numbers, you know, the, the kind of the risk seems to increase a little bit more around that three drinks per week amount. And so that's okay. what I recommend to patients, you know, to try to limit it to about three drinks per week on average. So that does not mean you have to count and, well, I had two, you know, three and I can't have another half glass. No, it means that there's going to be some weeks where you're on vacation or you have a party or a celebration and you drink more and some weeks where you drink less, but on average, right, what are you doing? And so I really have this conversation with my patients about getting away from this glass of, you know, wine with dinner mentality that's so prevalent in the US and with COVID really yeah. being very prevalent, you know, getting away from, I came home from work and I had a hard day and I need a glass of wine um, and shifting yeah. your mindset to say, well, I would enjoy one right now, but I don't need it. And so kind of redefining our relationship with alcohol becomes important. But I will say, look, there's people who don't drink and get diagnosed and people who drink a lot and don't get diagnosed. But if we want to lower our risk, that's something that we can all do is drink mm. a little bit less alcohol. And the, the last thing I'll say on that point is that any alcohol counts. So sometimes I'll get, well, what if it's just wine or if it's, it doesn't matter, like any alcohol increases risk. Well, Eleonora's uh, reply to my question is very clear and I'm not sure how you're feeling listening to this. I guess we all have really, really different and mixed emotions and feelings towards alcohol. We've all got such different histories with it. We've been brought up in different ways to perceive alcohol in different ways, I suppose. And so today's episode 
is my personal really account of what, what's happened for me with alcohol. It's not there to tell anyone what else they should be doing. And I just wanted to sort of talk you through my thinking process over the last sort of 10 years. When I was first diagnosed with cancer, I continued to drink alcohol. And I remember drinking large glasses of Aperol spritzes, which I love, really big goblets of orange looking um, Aperol with Prosecco or white wine and a bit of sparkling water. I really loved those drinks. I don't remember recalling drinking loads, but I continuously drank, I guess, quite a few glasses throughout the week. I used to drink loads. As a teenager, I had some of my best, <laughs> best experiences and times, I guess, when I was out with my three best friends from Austria and we were out and we had such fun and really, really good experiences and fantastic memories made when we were drinking. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to miss those at all. And then as life went on, I continued to drink a fair amount, I would say, definitely five nights of the week. And then I drank nothing when I had my children and I had my two pregnancies. And then I carried on drinking, as I said, throughout treatment. I'm sure it was less, but I didn't completely stop. And so that was it. And then my active treatment finished and life really changed for me. I sort of fell off that cliff. It was really, really difficult for me to get my head around what to do. I suddenly didn't have all these appointments with my breast care team, with an oncologist, with the radi you know, radiotherapy department. And I just didn't really know what to do. And I felt so strongly, I need to do more. I need to do more. I felt my treatment wasn't complete. I felt so endangered that there was some cancer still inside of me slumbering and it would come back and get me. And so I wanted to do everything to reduce my chances of a cancer recurrence. But I didn't really look at any evidence. I didn't really consult many healthcare practitioners. I just Googled stuff for a few weeks, I think. I just looked at random things like clinics in Mexico. And I just, I can't remember what I was Googling, but I was just Googling everything. And one thing that came up is cut out meat uh, because red meat and processed meat is a carcinogenic and I did that and started to eat loads of vegetables. So my diet changed. But there was nothing really I could find in the UK around the role of alcohol. And I looked at big websites like Breast Cancer Care and Macmillan, but it was very vague. We're talking back in 2013. So I'm sure guidance has changed now, but there wasn't much for me to find. But there was one statement by the American Society of Oncology, I think it was. And it was more clear about that there was a risk reduction if you stopped alcohol whatsoever after you had a cancer diagnosis. And I can't remember quite by how many percentage that risk reduction was, but it was a few percent. It was definitely less than seven, eight, nine percent. I remember it wasn't much. It was a few percent. And I thought, wow, if I could do anything to reduce my risks of a cancer recurrence, I will do it. And I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. But actually, at that time, I didn't actually stop drinking alcohol. I just read this and I made other changes and I thought I'm going to throw everything at it. But remember, none of this was supported by a nutritionist or a dietitian or by someone who could help me make all of those lifestyle changes. I just had this gung-ho sort of approach. 
at the same time, I was um, really into my yoga and my yoga teacher hosted a Sunday all day, one day yoga retreat. And I was really looking forward to going. I had three you know, young children at home and a whole day to myself felt really very luxurious, very special. I really felt like I was getting better or stronger at my yoga in a way. It was amazing for my head. And I really was excited to go on this one day retreat. And on the evening, the night before, one of my new friends then, Sarah, she invited me to a dinner party. It was just down the road. And I had a couple of glasses of large glasses of red wine. It wasn't much. I wasn't even tipsy. It was two large glasses of red throughout the course of the evening. And I was fine that evening. But the next morning I woke up and I felt really quite ill. And I knew it was the alcohol. It just felt like a hungover. But I took myself onto the yoga day anyway, but I didn't really enjoy it. I had to sit in the car and sleep because I was really tired. I just felt knackered. I was feeling nauseous. So I slept over lunchtime when everyone else was chatting and communicating and gathering over lovely food. And I think I even had to go and be sick in the toilet. I just had a really bad hungover and I was cross with myself because I knew this was a precious day that I'd been looking forward to. And I thought, wow, that's just rubbish. You're feeling so bad today for a couple of glasses of wine. I think for me, it really hit home that this wasn't my first experience that wasn't really beneficial to me. And I guess since chemotherapy and radiotherapy and my treatments, how I was absorbing or metabolizing alcohol has changed. And my hangovers, they were always bad, but they seemed to just be really, really bad. And it seemed that even if I wasn't really even tipsy, that my whole next day would be a write-off. Not even an hour, a couple of hours of feeling queasy in the morning, but my whole next day it just felt like a real whole day was a waste of a day. And at the time, I felt life was so precious that there was no way I wanted to waste another day feeling unwell because I've drank alcohol. And then I read that article from the American Society of Oncology about a you know, by stopping alcohol, you can reduce your risks of a recurrence by a few percent. I thought that I think in the combination of that information and what's happened to me personally was enough to then say, that's it. But again, that was all sort of in the lead up to Christmas. I wasn't ready to make the change. I wasn't ready to do it. And so I sat with the information. I sat with the experiences and I sat on it. I didn't say anything to anyone. And then on the 1st of January, 2014, I said to my husband, I'm going teetotal for January. And I said to the people and friends around, around me, I'm just going to go dry January. And actually, it was no big deal. Loads of people, you know, stopped drinking in January anyway. It was kind of like a normal thing to do. No one really questioned it. And I just gave up alcohol for January. However. I lied to everyone because I knew, and for myself, I knew that would be it. I would not go back to drinking in February. But to me, it felt an easier way back in or an easier way of sort of communicating that with everyone. Because up until then, I hadn't known anyone who didn't drink. I'm sure I have, actually. And if you're sitting there listening to my podcast, you're like, hey, Danny, but I am. I've never drank. But really consciously thinking everyone around me drank. And everyone around me drinks and drank alcohol to socialize. And everyone around me 
for weddings and funerals and for, I don't know, baptisms and for every kid's birthday party and for every gathering, for every business meeting that is held in the evening, there was alcohol. And so I didn't know a life. I didn't know an adult life for myself without alcohol. And and so I couldn't get my head around what that would be like. And so I didn't even know how to communicate that to others, which is why I thought it'll be just easier to say I'm not drinking for January. And I think quite a lot of people around me did it. And so it was no big shakes. But then February came and we were going out to dinner parties again and we were going out to functions and work dues and, and other things. And Tim and I, we did loads of socializing, you know, a couple of times a week. I think the babysitter would come and we'd be out with the other parents from our children's school classes and meeting friends. And and I would not drink. And it was really, really difficult at first because a, I was really conscious of having to give an explanation. And I can't remember quite so much what I said. I think I used different sort of excuses to different people. Some people I said, oh, just not drinking tonight. To other people I said, that's it. I'm, I'm done with alcohol. I'm not drinking. And more often than not, from people that didn't know me very well, people sort of joked that I had a problem with alcohol. And they said, oh, are you is it is it better for you you know not to drink i think they were sort of hinting are you an alcoholic or do you have an alcohol dependency you know do you have a pr- problem with it and so that was definitely that for the people that i didn't always want to be really truthful with and i felt like a real fraud at dinner parties i felt no one would want to sit next to me that i was really boring i felt gosh everyone was really getting into the mood past 11 o'clock when normal conversation at dinner parties and parties sort of faded and everyone's dancing and singing and singing along to all the soundtracks. I just felt really boring and I was very, very self-conscious. And actually for many, many months, I didn't really enjoy myself. And it was hard going, staying till the end. I didn't really have the confidence to just leave early. I sort of tried to fit in, tried to pretend to be on a wavelength to everyone else, but I really wasn't. It changed some of my relationships. And I must say my new friends, because we'd moved not long before then, my new sort of friends were all amazing. They really embraced me of who I was and never questioned, never doubted. They just did their own thing and carried on as normal. And I was allowed to just be there and be me, but without being drunk but it did change a couple of relationships to a couple of good friends and this one friendship I think I think it's sad because we used to go out and we used to just have fabulous evenings we used to have loads of drinks always up to no good and it was brilliant but as soon as alcohol wasn't part of that anymore our get-togethers changed and they became much less frequent almost to non-existing Initially, this friend said, we'll meet again in March when you, you know, when you're back drinking. But I knew I wasn't, I didn't want to go back drinking. And so, yeah, some relationships definitely changed. And I was so grateful for the relationships that flourished and didn't change where I could feel me and comfortable. But there was a real low moment. I remember a friend of mine's, it was her 40th and it was a big fancy dress party and 
everyone was really in the mood and in sparkly dresses. And I'd chosen a really awful outfit. It was a stupid costume. And so I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> I felt uncomfortable in the first place. And I just wanted to try and make a conversation with people because what else do you do? But people weren't wanting to make conversation. I wasn't in the mood for dancing and just fooling around. And I just felt really, really isolated. And I think at that time, I felt isolated anyway, because I felt isolated in what had happened to me. I didn't know of any other young mum at the school who'd gone through a similar situation to me then. I didn't know anyone else who was still wearing a wig. I didn't know anyone else who was my age with three children who'd just been diagnosed with an aggressive type of breast cancer. So I felt isolated. And I think by changing my relationship to alcohol and by putting myself into almost a different camp of the, being the only person on the evening who's not drinking, the only person at the dinner party who is you know, sober, teetotal, I again removed myself a little bit more and I felt more isolated. And it took several months until I felt it was less of a conversation, until I felt I had to less explain myself to people and until I just became Danny and Danny doesn't drink. And that was a really beautiful time because it felt I needed to think about it less as well. And I gained so much from it. And the first thing I realized immediately is absolutely no more hangovers, of course, because as you know, I've just said mine were bad. No more hangovers. And even a late night, two o'clock in the morning, I didn't feel so bad. The next morning, I might have felt tired, but I felt hydrated. And I just knew that the days I have on this planet, I don't want to waste them feeling bad if I can help it, or at least I don't want to feel that it's a self, you know, influence sort of feeling bad. I felt so bad through chemo at, at days and times that I just thought I had enough. I just need to do everything to feel good. And if that reduces my risks of a recurrence, that's amazing. And so I then started to see so many benefits. I would say the first six months of being, of not drinking at all, of being teetotal, where it was difficult for me to mix and socialize and explain myself. The reason why I was able to sustain it is because I was, my actions were driven by fear. And I kept thinking about the few percentage of how I can reduce my risks of a recurrence. And my actions were driven by so much fear that I could sustain the not drinking. It was a real passionate drive. It was I was very driven to do so. There wasn't any doubt in my head that I couldn't do this. And then when that became a little bit softer and a little bit less that I had to discuss it with people or explain myself, I had the same drive and the same urgency, but it became easier and I could see the benefits and feel the benefits. And, and for me, it was deciding. Once I decided, it was almost easy. What would have been much, much harder for me is to cut down just because of the person I am. Because if if I say I'm drinking on a Monday, but not on a Tuesday, and shall I have a glass of wine on Wednesday, or shall I save my three glasses a week to Friday? I think that would just be so much chat in my head, so many conversations. So that by deciding I'm not going to drink, that made it easy for me because I wasn't drinking. And that's that. And so I had much less chat in my head, no conversations to be had. It was almost simple. 
it was deciding, and then it was simple. And that's my experience. And so the first year, I would say, was a big year. It was the year of when I went teetotal. And then year after year, I just carried on and carried on. And I came and got to my three-year mark and my five-year mark. And gosh, I've been 10 years and nine years cancer, well, 10 years cancer-free and nine years teetotal. It's a long, long time, a long time. And I wouldn't say never, but on my last holiday, um, I had a few glasses. And actually what I realized is that it's quite easy to slip back into drinking because once you, once I personally had that one glass for an evening dinner, then the next evening I thought, shall I have a glass of wine or not today? And then the next evening was the same, should I or should I not? And I had the conversation in my head. Whereas really, once I decided to not even have the conversation, life is so simple for me and it brings with it so many benefits and there are no more, I've got a headache, I'm going to go for a run later. There is none of that. And of course, I don't always wake up feeling bright, but I always know there is no self-inflicted feeling of a hangover. And so I guess in a way, the fact that I've been getting really bad hangovers was a good thing for me because it helped me make that decision. And the fact that I stumbled across this one paper from the American Society for Oncology was just lucky. And, and the fact that I was so sort of panicked by my fear of recurrence just helped me sustain my lifestyle changes. And one thing I also want to add, and I don't think I've ever really spoken about it, my father is an alcoholic. And I had a wonderful childhood and alcohol was never a problem. But we were grown up children, my brother and I, and my dad was in his 50s and alcohol became a problem so much so that he has struggled with being an alcoholic for the last nearly 15 years of his life. It's changed his life, my mother's life, and it was very devastating at times. And so I also know how damaging and destroying alcohol can be. I know how safe it can feel because we never ever thought out of all the people I knew that my dad would ever have a problem with it. We felt very safe. It was very normal. It was a very normal drinker up until that one day. It's very strange. And of course, many parts play or many things influence someone's dependency on alcohol. And that's a whole other story. And um, But I do know how, how destructive alcohol can also be. And so, yeah, I think I was very much influenced by that as well. I never really thought I was, but of course, looking back, I can't not have been. And so this is sort of my story with alcohol and what has happened. And, you know, I know many, many people who've had a similar cancer diagnosis to me and they say, actually, I don't know how you do it. I really want to keep on drinking. I really enjoy the couple of glasses of wine I have on a Friday night. And not for once would I've ever, did I ever actually question or judge what anyone else was doing because I don't really care what anyone else is doing and because I was always so focused on myself if that makes any sense and so I think this is the way we need to handle this information we've we all know how we can reduce our risks and I hope Dr Eleonora Toplinski's little two-minute introduction was helpful at the beginning we have more knowledge now 10 years on but 
from all the comments in the Facebook page, it sh- quite clearly shows that our medical team still don't discuss alcohol quite as much with us as I think it should be discussed. We know we can reduce our risks, but never get rid of our risks. I think this is what I've most struggled with always. And just like um, so many other of the amazing experts I speak to always say, you know, the most healthy person who lives a vegan lifestyle and is a marathon runner can get diagnosed with cancer. And we don't know much, but we know how we can reduce our risks. And that's all we can do. And we're not all going to choose to do the same things. And I think that's totally okay. We need to do the things that resonate with us, the things that make sense to us, the things that we're able to do, the things that not, I wouldn't say that fall into our lap, but in a way, you know, for me, giving up alcohol was never like this grand big part of this grand big plan. It was just one of the things I did along the way. If you wanted to talk about this in a little bit more detail, then I'm really happy to bring an expert in. You just need to email me to danny at healthyholme.com and tell me what you would like to know about alcohol, about is it about the risk of recurrence and is it more about the ins and outs of what happens in the body or do you want to have a little bit more help in how you could stop drinking or reducing your alcohol intake? Whatever it is, just email me. I hope today's story really my story has been helpful i hope that you can go back to the drawing board and reevaluate your risks and benefits and decide what's important to you right now and thank you so much for listening and i wish you a good week i hope you get out there loads for lots of walks to look up into the blue or gray sky whatever it is and one step at a time for all of us and until next week all the best One last thing, though, before I go, and I really want to add this, that there have been many, many times, and especially in the first year since giving up alcohol, that I really missed the sort of Danny that was dancing on tables at three o'clock in the morning, that was really carefree, just going for it, just not worrying about the next day, not worrying about hangover, and just going with the flow of things and just being as loud as everyone else and dancing and being sort of really sort of free and just wild. And I do miss that person. But I think what I realize now is that carefreeness wasn't just something that went when I stopped drinking alcohol. I think that carefreeness was also very much taken away from me when I was first diagnosed. That lateness also changed and those changes have nothing to do with alcohol. And I also really, really know today that that wasn't really me. That was the influenced, you know, I was influenced by alcohol, me. And the true me is sober. What I'm really feeling, how I'm really acting, how I'm really behaving when I'm not under the influence of any drug, whether that's alcohol or anything else, that is me. And that is how I choose to show up. And that is how I want to live life and how I want to make my experiences. And so all in all, although I have mourned her, the Danny that dances on tables at three o'clock in the morning, I know the authentic Danny can look herself and everyone else in the eye under no influence of anything else. And whatever is there is there, whether the joy and fun is there for me to step on a table or whether it's being more reserved. That is the real me now. And I want to be the real me. I want to show you 
who that is and anyone who I meet in life. And that feels good to me.